Okay, so um, uh, we're live, but uh, my um, it's a very relaxed live stream. So you know, dead silences are fine. Or if there's anything you don't want to answer or talk about, you can just say that it's 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 very laid back. Sure. Um, and are you are you editing this together with other stuff, or is this going to be a standalone thing for you? I uh, right now, yeah, this is going to be a. So I'm working on a bigger project called the pedophile narrative it's my working title and so um, i usually do a series of interviews with experts kind of ramping up to um a final video that'll just be more like a lecture with snippets so i might use a snippet from this and there but this video this this interview will be just like left at in its unedited state on my channel okay um but yeah i'm uh, it it's part of kind of a larger series of interviews and then uh, a final piece at the end. Gotcha. Um, <clears throat> okay. Uh, so I liked your article. I feel like it really hits the nail on the head about, Thanks. um, and the article is called uh, performative rage over pedophilia doesn't help children. Is that what it's called? Mm -hmm. I think so. Yeah. In psychology today and it's about how we kind of conflate getting mad at people for having a just dis a disordered sexuality pedophilia um, with protecting children mm -hmm. and I'm a big uh, fan of this framing right yeah I mean I it's something I've dealt with you know a lot in my career um, but it it certainly is a, you know, a big issue in society today. Um, particularly, one, you know, one of the points that I make often, and I made it in that article as well, is that in addition to the conflation of kind of being mad over pedophilia and the idea that that does something to protect kids, there is very commonly uh, another conflation where people view pedophilia and sexual abuse of children as the same thing. Yes. And it's critically important in this conversation that we recognize two things. One is that roughly 60% or more of child sexual abuse is enacted by people who are not pedophiles. Um, that, uh, and, and people always, you know, scratch their heads over that. Well, how do, how, how, how do you sexually abuse a kid if you're not sexually turned on by a kid? But mm -hmm. the example I use often is that, uh, you know, an awful lot of sexual abuse of children involves, uh, you know, drugs or alcohol. So people that, you know, methamphetamine, you know, increases sexual arousal, reduces, um, uh, impulse control, uh, reduces judgment, and can lead to somebody under the influence of, of methamphetamine, you know, raping a child when they're not really into, into children. I mean, as drugs and alcohol do between adults, you, you can exactly. end up doing acting out a sexual experience right. or fantasy that is not necessarily your number one yeah. choice, but yeah. you, you just end up doing it anyway. Exactly. So preventing, you know, dealing with pedophilia, um, uh, is not going to stop those those acts of sexual abuse and and the people that online are you know constantly saying you know pedophiles deserve to die um, you know yeah. the, the, the QAnon stuff and all of that 
even if God helped me, even if they were able to somehow identify all pedophiles and wipe them from the face of the earth, it's it, it's not even going to stop a majority of sexual abuse. Right. 60% of sexual abuse of kids is still going to happen. The second important thing that is critical to understand is that there are a great many people with pedophilia who never sexually abuse a child. And Do you have any idea of the uh, statistics on that? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't know. Because we don't, because most people who are pedophiles are not precisely signing up for service. That's right. Because yeah. they're they're not identifying as that. They keep it secret. Um, they you know they they may may get caught watching child pornography, um, and you know unfortunately, I mean again, it's it's one of the things people don't understand that. There is not a clear link between consumption of child pornography or or child sexual abuse um, exploitation material um, and engaging in what's called contact offending against a child Um, that the the predictors. You're saying the predictors of of child abuse, viewing child pornography is not a predictor of child of real life child abuse. Unfortunately, yeah, that, you know, uh, uh, the predictors of, of contact offending against a child are things like antisocial personality, are things like low empathy for victims, are things like, you know, poor impulse control. I, I, um, I want to just translate because uh, people online will use antisocial to mean you don't want to go to a party. But right, you're, right, you're talking right. about psychopaths. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, yeah, I'm talking about psych- psychopathy or sociopathy and the, the, the terms are – um, are, are interestingly nuanced. The, the current diagnosis is antisocial personality disorder. And these are people that, you know, they don't care about the rules. They don't think the rules apply to them. They, um, uh, you know, have, have low empathy for victims. They don't care if they hurt people. Um, there's a, you don't, know, they don't care if they hurt themselves. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Like high, high risk um, kind of. Yeah, they engage in a lot of, um, you know, sensation seeking, um, impulsivity kind of behaviors. Those factors are more likely to predict people, you know, engaging in sexual abuse of children. But what what's interesting, and you know, my my second book is called The Myth of Sex Addiction, and I, I really challenge the whole narrative around sex and pornography addiction. A lot of people, in fact, I was just looking at this like two minutes ago. I was looking at this article. Um, where a Baltimore man was just uh, was just convicted and sentenced to to jail for possession of, of thousands of, of of child pornography images, and in court he claimed that he was addicted to pornography and the internet, and that was why he engaged in these behaviors. Okay, but the reality is, in research with with people who watch you know child sexual abuse. The material is that these are people with pedophilia. These are people with pedophilic arousal that, you know, there are lots of people, unfortunately, who go to sex addiction treatment claiming that, well, I got caught looking at child porn, but it's because I got addicted to porn. No. Yeah. Yeah. The and narrative that, that they that, that you on. always want something more intense or more yeah. arousing. And so you end up right. looking at child porn. That does that doesn't really make that much sense to me. No, I mean, it's based on it's based on kind of a, a an analogy between sexuality and alcohol. Right. That yeah. There's a tolerance effect. Well, you'd have to be a pedophile to look at child porn. I mean, or or be, be, be very curious. But I mean, otherwise, like you're um, you're risking your life, right? For something, if you're just as happy with adult porn, that you know, there's no reason to um, 
you know, yeah. ruin your ruin I, your life unless you, unless yeah, you feel that I you mean, really I, need it. I'll say I've seen a couple of people who were not pedophiles who were arrested with with child sexual material uh, and um some of them were people with autism where they they were not primarily aroused or attracted to children Mm -hmm. but they were deeply obsessive about collecting and they ended up (laughs) they just want to collect all the the like stamp collecting Yes. Yeah. They want to collect all the content and it included, you know, uh, child abuse material now. Um, and, and I've seen some people who will check out that kind of material either because they have fantasies around kind of age play sort of stuff, mm-hmm. um, or they are just kind of wanting to explore all the extremes okay. and they just want to kind of see it. But it's the, it's the people that, you know, pursue this material repeatedly that clearly they're doing so from a place of sexual arousal towards those images. Okay. Can I ask you for a, um, okay. Well, so first of all, sorry, I didn't introduce you. You're, you're Dr. David Lay PhD. Yeah. My clinical psychologist and a, a board certified sex therapist in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Okay. Can I ask? So part of my goal here is to bridge the gap between um, the way people are talking about this in online in my world mm-hmm. and get them some clearer definitions and better information. And then also I want to let professionals know what's, what's going on in my world over here. Right. Um, so I want to run some things by you, but first, can I get a definition from you of, of what is pedophilia? Because in the, in, on the internet, it's used as an ideology, a behavior <laughs> set, um, a, a sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. So what is pedophilia to you? So let me, so that I can give you the best answer, let me pull the book. <clears throat> so this is the DSM. Okay. It is the Diagnostic Manual of um, uh, mental health disorders. Pedophilia is a uh, paraphilia. Paraphilias are sexual disorders with basically um, what we perceive as a, um, what we identify as, as a target error in some cases, people that are sexually attracted to things um, that they uh, would normally, that humans are not normally attracted to. Um the thing with um, pedophilia, and it is recurrent, intense, sexually arousing fantasies for at least six months involving sexual activity with a prepubescent child under age 13. They've acted on these urges or the urges cause uh, marked distress. And the, the person is at least 16 years old. Okay, and that's important because you know we um, uh, we see youth sometimes engage in sexual abuse of children, um, and it's very often because of access. It's because of um, uh, it's it's because of disturbed parenting and, and all kinds of other problems. And it's not that the child that that this teenager is primarily attracted to children. Okay. So. 
There, there's a couple of important nuances there in what I said, though. One okay. is that note that it is children under age 13. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole lot of um, rhetoric calling uh, like Jeffrey Epstein a pedophile. Right. And that's not. And it's not accurate sense. because no. um, Epstein was Epstein was having sex with or sexually abusing, um, sexually assaulting uh, teenage girls. The there right. was there's a, there's a tricky thing where people think if you say something isn't pedophilia, then you're saying it's OK. But that's not right, what you're saying. Not. It's still it's still statutory rape and human trafficking. It's just not related to this topic. Yeah, well said. Thank you for making that point. The sure. um, there was an effort uh, when the DSM five was being pre- um, created uh, to include a, a subcategory called hebophilia, which is attraction to um, yeah. young teenagers, basically. And and then there's e hebophilia um, that is attraction to older teenagers. The problem is that um, attraction. Finding teenagers sexually arousing may be rather normative. And, um, you know, if you think about in our in our even recent history, I mean, adult men marrying 13, 14 year old, you know, girls was not uncommon. Mm -hmm. I also like to point out that, um, you know, during the what was that movie Twilight? Right. There was Team Jacob and Team Edward. And, you know, Jacob was a teenager. Right. And there were all of these women out there who were lusting after him. Yeah, I think um, another thing I try to make clear is that there's a conflation on, on social media. If you say someone is sexually attractive, there's an implication that you're also saying it would be good, legal or normal for you to do whatever it is you're thinking about doing because there's an assumption you're not going to say something that makes yourself sound like you're thinking of doing something bad so if you say you're thinking something it means you're endorsing it as an action and so there have to be like there's some age some class of people or situations all the time where we might find someone sexually interesting on some level but that doesn't mean that we should act on those thoughts or feelings yeah, they, uh, so some really interesting research in Canada by a, a researcher named Christian Joyal, uh, one of my favorite researchers, in fact. He, he, he looked at what's called the concordance rate, how much agreement there was between um, people's fantasies and their behaviors. So in other words, he looked at the question that you just asked, which is um, how many people that have fantasies act on those fantasies. And he found that by and large, men – are more likely to act on their fantasies um, than women are. Around 65% of, of men in general, um, uh, when they have a certain fantasy, will um, will act on it. Okay. Women are much more likely, however, than men to act on a fantasy of masochism or, or in submission. So 70, 71% of women, when they have a fantasy of, of submission, they're likely to act on it. Here's the really, really interesting part. When um, people, including men, have a fantasy of criminal or non-consensual behavior, they're very less likely to act on it. So there are a lot of people, there are a lot of men, a lot of people that have fantasies of behaviors that they know they can't act on and they don't. Why? Because they're not psychopaths because they have empathy for their victims and because they, they believe that the rules apply to them. Okay. Can I 
I want to uh, ask you for some nuance in your pedophilia definition. Yeah. By the definition that you just gave, if someone occasionally masturbates to thoughts of prepubescent children, but otherwise is normal, is that person a pedophile? They are a non-exclusive pedophile. And so that's, okay. again, one of the that, that's one of the um, uh, nuances when, in there. So in the definition, it says uh, either acted on it or, or have, distress over it. have distress over it. So if you uh, does sexual fantasy count as acting? That is a, that gets into some argument and you know does does masturbation to fantasy count uh, count as acting on it yeah. um with some with some perspectives yes and some perspectives no in your, in your, um, in your if, opinion it sounds like you're saying yes generally i'm gonna view that person as a person with pedophilic arousal and I'm going to work with them in that way. Whether or not they meet the full definition becomes a little less important to me. If you're assuming uh, in this scenario, the person is your client who is seeking sure. treatment. Sure. What if they are not your client and they are just a hypothetical person? Not um, seeking. Do you think someone should seek treatment if they meet that? Okay, so so that gets into um, uh, some of the nuance that was brought into DSM five that didn't exist before. Um, okay. Now we diag we, we used to only diagnose paraphilias. Now we diagnose a paraphilia or a paraphilic disorder. A disorder is when you have this unusual sexual interest. Um, and it is causing problems in your life um, or you feel distress about it. And the paraphilia is just the interest. In paraphilia itself. is just the interest. So there are many so, people that have an interest in, for instance, you know, dominance or submission or sadomasochism, but it's not yeah. causing problems in their life. So they may be diagnosed with a paraphilia, paraphilia, but not a paraphilic disorder. In your in in, in your example, the person could be diagnosed with pedophilia as a paraphilia, but not a pedophilic disorder. Okay. And would, would you recommend that someone seek treatment if that is their current state? If they are concerned that they may act on it, if they're concerned that uh, they're not sure if they are safe, if they are, if having those arousals is causing a tremendous um, level of, of shame or distress in their life. Do you think that someone in that situation should be concerned? Um, maybe because for instance, um, if they are uh, taking care of a child and they get drunk mm -hmm. or they put themselves in a situation where they are impaired in terms of making good decisions, Okay, so to to go back to your original points in the article, you're you're not saying you're, okay, you're saying that pedophilic arousal arousal or the paraphilia of pedophilia is a risk factor. It's not. It's not uh, the only risk. Factor. It's not the only risk factor, but it is a. Would you say it's a significant risk factor? Um, like a drunk person yeah. babysitting a child is a bad idea. Right. Is similarly a 
someone with pedophilic arousal babysitting a child is also a bad idea. It depends on the person. Right, but you could say that about a drug. I guess I'm trying to. Sure. I'm, I'm trying, trying to. I'm trying to figure out where where these lines are drawn in terms mm-hmm. of what you define as healthy or risky or unhealthy. Or do you know what I'm saying? Like, well, tons of people can babysit a child drunk and not, not you know, still manage to do a pretty good job. Yeah, um, it, as you said a moment ago, it's not going to be ideal. Um, a person with uh pedophilic arousal babysitting a child could they do so probably safely it's probably not a good idea not a recipe that i would that i would support okay um however you know i've treated a lot of people over the over the years with a history of engaging in in sexual abuse of children who were wrestling with how how do i for instance become a parent and how do i manage that Right. Can I can I have children um, and be safe around them? And so then the question now becomes around safety planning and helping them to learn to make good decisions, helping them to have a a support system that helps them that helps them make good decisions. Um, You know, should they should they be the person that, you know, uh, bathes their child, for instance? Probably not a good idea. Yeah. So thinking through those kinds of Do, issues is, uh, is where it's where things get tough. If most people are attracted to teenagers, do you think this is something that all parents have to wrestle with at some point, or think about, or sh- or should think about? Um. Hmm. Not necessarily, because uh, again. We can find teenagers sexually arousing or sexually attractive, but not necessarily be interested in dating them or trying to be sexual with them. But isn't that the same? Wouldn't that be the same with? uh... Not necessarily, because one of one of the things that happens as we age is in the normal population, um, Mm -hmm. the the what happens is that in general, we tend to find people around our age group, the people that we want as, as sexual partners. We may find, you know, younger people or older people uh, attractive. We may be able to see them as attractive, but when we think about pursuing a sex partner, in general, we pursue sex partners that are, that are synchronous with us. And as we age, that interest oftentimes goes in matching. Okay. Um, not all the time. And there's, you know, and there's, there's other issues at play. I mean, you think about Leonardo DiCaprio and he's, you know, always dating the, the young women. I I guess I'm trying what I'm trying to get at is if you're saying pedophilic arousal is a predictor of potential child abuse where safeguards need to be put in place, but you're also saying that it's somewhat normal for all people to be attracted to a 15 or 16 year old. Do you think that some safeguard or um, emotional boundary setting preparation for having a teenager in your house, even if they're your, I guess, I, I think we're, we're, we're saying that if you have pedophilic sexual arousal and you have even your own child is 
a likely or possible target for your fixations. So what, I guess, is there something qualitatively different about that paraphilia versus everyone's normal attraction to teenagers that, or, or, or um, do you, sorry, go ahead. Do you get what I'm asking? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I think the, um, I, I think it's a fair point, Max. I mean, but, but I, I, there are qualitative differences. Certainly. Okay. 15, 16 year old teenagers are not as vulnerable to exploitation as children are. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, they're vulnerable to exploitation. We can all see that, um, but it's at a different level. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember being a kid. I wanted to marry my mother, but <laughs> you know, once you're twelve or thirteen, your uh, your own distaste for your parents starts to protect you, I guess, from That's from right. that sort of thing. And then also, most of us have the ability, um, whether it's you know, uh, whether it's a biological thing or not, that we can turn off the sexual arousal to sexual arousal or interest in those people um, that, you know, we're not supposed to be attracted to um, disgust at, you know, incest kind of um, fantasies or thoughts hmm. is protective from engaging in incest. Yes. But that would apply to both situations. Are you saying that para a paraphilia cuts through that? Um, it could it could. Okay. Um, I, I, can I walk you through a couple scenarios of people who've been branded as pedophiles uh, on in, in social media land? Sure. I mean, to clarify, as a clinician, I can't diagnose anybody I've never I've never evaluated. Absolutely. So I'll I'll probably just stick to giving you ages and vague details. <laughs> okay. And then uh, if you want to respond, you can. And if not, then. I, I guess I guess I'm gonna say um it'll 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 be questions like if I go over to someone's house and uh, for dinner and I don't bring a gift am I a psychopath and I know you you don't you don't want to just diagnose anybody but I feel like you might feel comfortable answering that so uh one one case a 19 year old requested nudes from a 17 year old. So it happens very commonly. There's no indications there that that would be, you know, a disordered um, a sexual arousal or behavior. Remember, with pedophilia, it's interest in people under 13. Clearly, clearly that's not the case here. Is this grooming? So, I mean, I'm um, I'm actually somewhat rare in that I really dislike the concept of grooming um, mm -hmm. because it is an extremely subjective term that is almost always applied after the fact. Um, it's very difficult to tell the difference between grooming and socially appropriate behaviors. Um, it also unless implies... unless the person is under thirteen, then I, I think it becomes easier. <laughs> well, but even then, I mean, you know, it, if you know, you give candy to the kid that comes to your house on Halloween. Is that grooming? We, uh, yes. the issue with grooming is that the, the concept implies this Machiavellian plan to engage in this, you know, socially seductive behavior so that you fall into my trap and I, and I get what I want. 
people, the overwhelming majority of people that engage in sexual abuse of children and people that are pedophiles, um, they're not planners. They're not evil geniuses. And in fact, there, there's substantial research that people with pedophilia have lower IQ. So the idea that people have this master plan to entice people into their in, 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 into their evil clutches, just there's really no evidence of it. Okay. So you, you know, you're you're 19 year old with 17 year old. Um, the so I mean, I've seen those cases, and and yeah. it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate because if they so California, you know, has a, a age of consent at, at 18, but mm -hmm. the average age of consent in the United States is roughly 15 or 16. That's that's the majority of states. So some uh, now many states have some additional law that look at age difference. Yeah, and so I think 19 and 17 is probably legal in every state. It's probably yeah if they had sex, but um, child pornography. But it, the naked picture of the 17-year-old now counts as child pornography. And sure. that's well, where I, things get complicated. Yeah. Uh, probably unlikely to be prosecuted if unless they were intending to distribute the pictures, I would guess. But that's just... Uh, it, it. I've seen it happen when the parents were got involved, were incensed, and were kind of connected. Um, okay. Uh, a 20... We'll say three-year-old sexting and requesting naked pictures from a fifteen-year-old. So it's enough of an age difference here that I've you know got some pretty significant concerns. Okay, can you um, tell us about those concerns? The the you know and, and and we see this with with both males and females that you know the the age the difference of maturity between a 19 and a 17 year old is not all that much. The difference in maturity between a 23 year old and a 15 year old is pretty substantial. There's yeah. a, there's a high level of, you know, power differential, social functioning difference. Um, uh, the, I've got questions as to why the why the 23 year old is engaging with the 15 year old as a as a peer. Now, is this pedophilia? No, again, because still she's not under she's not under 13. But it so is. Can we, is there a word for it? It's problematic. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, problematic. it's definitely illegal. And 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 it's criminal. It's criminal is, sexual behavior. Okay. Uh, is it disordered? It may be, um, uh, or it may re it, it may reflect a low level of you know social maturity in the twenty three year old. Sometimes um, I, I've seen folks that uh, you know they they felt those younger um, folks were more peers because of their their personal level of development. Because mentally, right? they um, might really actually be more peers. Yeah, um, mentally or emotionally or at a social functioning level. So, you know, interestingly, think about the uh, high school teachers in Texas. Keeps happening in Texas. Female high school teachers, they're 23, 24, 25, and yeah. they get arrested and prosecuted for having sex with 14, 15, 16-year-old boys. Yeah. And one of the things that consistently seems to come up in those cases is that these young women – 
feel intimidated and kind of dominated and less egalitarian with men of their same age or older. Okay. But with the younger, these younger teenage boys, the, the, this young woman now feels more in control. Feels safe. Safe, powerful, in control, sure. And, and so that's not a paraphilia. Not a paraphilia, not a sexual disorder that we could diagnose right now. Um, but can we identify? It do you think it should be? Um, again, probably not because um, criminal behaviors are not a mental disorder. They're yeah, I like, assume that sleeping with your students is just something every high school teacher wants to do. If I mean, they might occasionally have fantasies about it. You know, my my, my wife is a high school teacher, and well, um, I forgot, then I retract my previous statement. <laughs> yeah, you should. I've actually no. I, I assume that that's just something everybody thinks about. I mean, they're 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 there. They're <laughs> attractive by all counts, and they're they'll do what you say. They have to do what you say. They think it's their fault. Whatever happens, they can't tell anybody. I mean, I I, always, I assume that yeah. all high school teachers recognize that the the power and the opportunity, I assume, is presented to almost every teacher at some point. Yeah, probably. I mean, as as a therapist, you know, and I again, I've talked to my wife about this. As a therapist, um, I am trained throughout all of my education and supervision to be aware of erotic feelings towards my patients or my patients' erotic feelings towards me. Exactly. And, I am and I'm taught how to recognize them and manage them, not let them intrude into my, my clinical practice. To hold and boundaries. And to seek help, right? If if I am getting to the point that I might cross that boundary, so I've asked my I've asked my wife though, what do they teach teachers? And she said they teach teachers don't do it. That's it. Right, and that that's probably leading to more of it happening. So I that's so I I know that some of my questions seem uh, creepy, and that a lot of people <laughs> think I am creepy because I say things like this. But my part of part of the point of what I'm trying to get at yeah. here is that. There are going to be times in most of our lives where we have sexual or erotic feelings towards somebody we shouldn't um, right. act on them with. That's that. And, and I'm worried that the idea of mm -hmm. sexual boundaries is being erased from yeah. these these people's minds, especially young people who are growing up on social media, are, mm -hmm. are essentially being sent a message that we don't need sexual boundaries because the rest of us, we just don't want to. We don't think thoughts like that. We don't, right. we don't have, we don't, we never want to do anything with anybody under the age of 18. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to find, uh, find the least creepy way <laughs> to impart that message. Well, think about the parallel. I mean, how many of us have thought about killing somebody? A hundred percent. But we don't do it. Most of us. Most of us don't. And we we don't actually view ourselves as awful people that deserve to die for having that thought. Yeah. We don't right. view ourselves as inhuman for having thoughts of killing somebody. Okay. So where do you draw the line between having a paraphilia? Where, where do fleeting sexual thoughts about mm -hmm. minors – 
or prepubescent children turn into a paraphilia or a warning sign? Or are you saying any thoughts at all? No, um, diagnostically, it's going to be recurring and lasting more than six months. For you, for your, for for if somebody says like, if I blah, 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 am I normal? At what point are are you going to say, not really? (laughs) Not, you know, Um, you're not in trouble. It's okay, but not, not exactly. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I don't think that when it comes to sex, we really know what normal is. Should we? Um, do we need to? I guess that's maybe a better question. Do, do we um, need to draw this line? Yeah, from yeah, as a, as a scientist, I mean, I'd love to know, but it's only in it's only in recent years that we started finding out that many of the you know many of the paraphilias um, that I can talk about exhibitionism, fraudarism, fraudarism is rubbing up against people in the subway kind of stuff. Um, yeah. That. Roughly 50% of a normal population has had at least one of those fantasies, and 30% of them have engaged in it. So it appears that these sexual fantasies that we thought were abnormal are actually quite normal. Right. So another – the sanitization of online communication that all – a lot of our communication is now running through um, social media companies that – for advertising reasons right. don't allow us to express these thoughts or ideas or to do these things not that not that they should allow us to necessarily but it it creates a distorted view of like it makes you think you're living in Disneyland or it's like the Truman show like it's it's making people think right normal is much more narrow right. Uh, than it really right. is. Now, we we can say, though, that sexual fantasies of children and animals are the least common, and they ba- pedophilia and bestiality are basically the only fantasies that appear to be uncommon and rare, that occur in less than 2% of people. Okay. Um, now... Um, but, you know, fleeting, fleeting sexual thoughts or questions or fantasies um, are probably quite normative in our brains exploring the, the boundaries of sexuality and figuring things out. Where do you draw the line between fleeting and not fleeting? If you could... Um, yeah. I mean, again, if this becomes your go-to fantasy, if it is something that is, you know, recurring, uh, and if it's something that you are, you know, questioning whether you have the impulse control to not act on it. Okay. The what you know, the, the one of the challenges in, in this is that, um, you don't want to normalize. You don't want to say that it's normal to be a pedophile. You don't want to accidentally say that. But right. while I'm on. I'm. I'm fighting for telling people that mm-hmm. if you have a, a fleeting or even occasional fantasy mm-hmm. about a prepubescent child or a teenager, I. I don't think you're a pedophile. And I don't. Right. I don't even know that. Um, if you don't find it distressing and, and like you said, if it's not turning into this powder keg of potential criminal behavior or abuse, mm-hmm. 
I, I don't even find it concerning. But I think there's a there's a thing where if if you're at the point where you're talking about it, it's probably more than just a fleeting mm-hmm. or or very occasional thought. And so I I I sense that you don't want to be saying like, no, it's normal to want to you know molest children. I I I agree that it's not, but I also there's this um the private secret fleeting unconscious occasional more varied sexual thoughts and experiences um that i think people have especially maybe younger people well i don't know i don't know if that's true i guess i guess maybe it's just more distressing to younger people who don't know if if what they're feeling or thinking is normal and so i'm trying to protect them Mm -hmm. without also sending the message like you know, yeah, if I if if you if it's becoming yeah. a recurring fixation, like you do need to get help. Right. So um, there's a research on sexual fantasy, you know, again, is 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 something I'm quite interested in as sex therapist and, and, and psychologist and um Books by Nancy Friday um, were published in the uh, 1970s and 80s, um, and her first books were about female sexual fantasies, and she collected sexual fantasies from from all these women, predominantly in New York City, but across the country. And uh, something like 14% of the fantasies that she collected from women um, involved children. Uh, I want to say something like I, I ran these numbers a little while back, 10% involved incest, things like that. Um, now are all those women pedophiles? No. And in fact, female pedophilia is extremely rare. So why are these, why are these women including the, you know, children in their sexual fantasies? It may be some of their personal sexual history of sexual abuse, um, can be a lot of things. Um, and we are, we as humans, most of us, if we have impulse control, if we have empathy, if we, you know, view ourselves as, you know, a person that kind of follows rules, um, mm-hmm. we're able to have those fantasies and not act on them. Okay. I think that gets to a central point that I'm trying to figure out. How dangerous are fantasies? <laughs> I think that's that's the yeah. that's the online question. That's the social right. media question. Is how dangerous are thoughts? How dangerous are feelings? I I Certainly. will say that people are dangerous. Fantasies are not. So you know, a a person who is amoral, a person who's drunk, a person who's intoxicated, a person who acts violently. I'm 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 concerned about that person. I may or may not be all that concerned about their fantasies. Okay, but you also said um, someone with pedophilic arousal is also someone you think probably shouldn't be a babysitter, right? So you're not—that's not—you're not totally saying you're not concerned about fantasies. You're saying you're sending me mixed messages. Well, I'm concerned about that. Um, uh, for one thing, if they are, um, if if they find themselves disinhibited um, or impaired in that situation. Um, I also think that just in terms of prudence, uh, why the fuck would you put yourself in that situation? Yeah. 
the um, there's a, a researcher in LA named uh, Neil Malamuth, and he's and he's looked at, you know, the the relationship between watching violent pornography and men engaging in sexual assault. Okay. Ninety, roughly ninety-three percent of men watching violent pornography has really no impact on um, increasing their uh, chances to engage in sexually criminal sexual behavior. Seven okay. percent of men, five to seven percent of men, it appears do. If those men watch violent pornography, it appears to increase their risk of engaging in violent sexual behavior. That five to seven percent of men, though, they have some unique characteristics. They have they are oftentimes antisocial. They're abusing drugs and alcohol. They have low empathy and they are angry at women mm. or angry at the world. So for me and, and, I, and I know I'm hard to talk to about this stuff because everybody wants a goddamn black and white answer. No, no, but, I'm fine. I'm fine with the shades of gray. I, yeah. I, I just want to kind of. Okay. It's I've nuanced and it's individual. Yeah. Right. And that's that's hard to get on social media, obviously. Yeah. Um okay, I have another question. Uh cuties. Yeah, the Netflix movie, yeah. Yeah. Uh have you seen it? Bits of it. I I didn't watch the whole thing, yeah. What do you think of the whole thing? The whole uh brouhaha. Um uh, well, I mean, I, I, I think that um, challenging and exposing the sexualization of children is different from sexually exploiting children. Okay. And I think that, uh, yeah, I think that movie um, was intended to and, and did, you know, expose the degree to which our society is incredibly hypocritical in that we... Um, you know, we we sexualize children. We 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 have these kids, um, you know, uh, twerking and 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 you know, full makeup in these beauty contests and stuff, and trying to look like they're old, yeah, and mature. Um, and then yet we we turn around and you know and 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 punish and threaten with death anybody who looks at that child in a sexual way. So I made a somewhat controversial review of Cuties in which I said that the girls in the movie were hot. And this was received uh, pretty well with by anybody with a more kind of academic background. People were like, oh, you're, you're calling, you're pointing out something uncomfortable and interesting and blah, blah, and introspective, blah, blah. The so yeah. social media world didn't like it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You, did you get the pictures of the wood chippers? Um, yes. Yeah. I got wood chippers. I got death threats. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a thousand I, death threats. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, Max, I mean, the re one of the reasons I was reluctant to come on and do this talk with you is because every time I touch in this, I mean, I get, you know, I get threats of doxing and I get death threats and every other damn thing. So I'll be kind of a if anybody watches this video, they're not going to be mad at you. <laughs> You're going to be fine. I'm, I'll be the lightning rod. Don't worry. Um, okay. So the, so you called it performative rage mm -hmm. and, uh, our early on when we started talking, someone in the, uh, chat said, well, I don't think it should be called performative because that implies it's not real. Mm. So I, I agree with you that, um, it's like people are taking a feeling 
that might be about something else or might be about this and then amplifying it or sort of showcasing it in a way to, yeah, virtue signal for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, their own purity. And so part of the reason I made the review is that I find this very distasteful and dishonest. And I, and I, I want to know, um, just to increase my credibility overall and to say like, you know, if you want somebody who's willing to make themselves look creepy or bad, and is going to tell you that their unvarnished truth about what they see or feel, you can come to my channel. If you want the 999th person you've heard today saying cutie is child porn, then you can go to their channel. Um, but what do you like? What is Is it like a witch hunt thing where people just don't want to be that don't want to have the finger point at them? Is it out of fear? Or what do you think drives the urge to say, well, if I saw a pedophile, I would kill them. What makes people do that? A lot of it um is coming out of this yeah um i need to distance myself from anybody that could think that way and so i'm gonna make this stance that shows oh i'm not like that at all i've killed him um there's also i think unfortunately this 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 subtle idea um or mistake that by saying that it does something and that it protects <laughs> children, right? It, yeah, um, it feels it feels like you did something when you tweet. Yeah, it, just you in know, general, it, in general, yeah, not just about yeah. this. If you feel like you accomplished something when you tweet something, when you, yeah, no, that's you, right, you, that's you, you right. Yeah, know. I made the world a better place by 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 saying Putin's a you know an asshole. Okay, yeah. right. Um, right. It interestingly, you know, this level of 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 shame and attack and fear, you know, towards people with pedophilia probably makes the world less safe. It probably makes children less safe because it increases the degree to which people that are having these thoughts and feelings don't want to seek help for fear of being arrested or by or, 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 or stigmatized, um, exposed as having as having these thoughts and feelings. Um, there's a, a, pro a research project in Germany called the Dunkelfeld Project, where they Dunkelfeld is German for dark field, and they did a, you know, a, a social basically outreach, um, inviting people with 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 pedophilic thoughts to access help, and non-judgmental, not going to get in trouble, not going to get arrested, and uh, they the research found that they were actually able to reduce risk of recidivism and engaging in contact sex offending in these in these men by offering this non-shaming non-stigmatizing treatment they didn't reduce the uh recidivistic use of pornography of, of, of child sexual abuse material um that appears to be much much more difficult to interrupt we when we stigmatize and shame and say that you know we're, if i see a pedophile i'd kill him um it's also coming out of anger and anger is always a secondary emotion um it always comes after and the, the oftentimes the first feeling that comes is fear fear that that could happen to you fear that that could happen to children in your care and also fear that you could do something 
Yeah. You know, one of the one of the things that, you know, as psychologists had become incredibly clear to me is that many of the people who are out there virtue signaling about sexual purity are actually people that have perverts. secret questions about their own sexual Fucking perverts. Yeah. And they're trying to hide or mask. I mean, okay. I, I followed it for a while. I mean, how many QAnon folks got arrested for child pornography over the past three, four years? A bunch of them. A bunch. Um. I, okay, this just strikes me as another situation where boundaries would be a useful concept that people don't have, where there's people think if you're nice to a pedophile, that means that you're saying they should be able to do whatever they want. And you can be kind to somebody with a disorder, but still say, you know, you, you can't do any of this stuff you're thinking about, and you need to get help. But it's like uh, viciousness and threats are, are, are used in place of like saying no. Yeah. And, you know, the treatment approaches for criminal sex offenders. Now, recognizing not all criminal sex offenders are pedophiles, to be very clear. Um, but research over the past five, 10 years um, finds consistently that punitive, shaming, judgmental, dogmatic, rigid treatment approaches for these folks increases the likelihood that they will re-offend. Um, in contrast, uh, in Canada, there's a model called the Good Lives Model, which says that to help these people never re-offend or never engage in these behaviors, we need to help them have a good life so that they don't yeah. have to. Right, because if you're going to be treated like a filthy child porn watching degenerate, whether you watch it or not, uh, the incentive to, you know, fight your urges and contain right. yourself are significantly reduced. Yeah, uh, yeah. The sex offender registry does not make anybody safe, and in fact, it probably makes us less safe because you know I've seen uh, I've seen countless you know men on the sex offender registry depressed, isolated, unable to get work, um, and yeah. at some point they stop caring about taking care of other people or following the rules. They may have yeah. originally. Right. If the, if society's decided to exile you permanently then why why would you follow their rules yeah you're not getting anything back i have a kind of family systems theory about why the performative rage is increasing i'd like to hear it i believe that social media companies in connecting adults to children privately whenever they want have created a kind of now, I was going to say a hunting ground for predators, but it's also people who don't even mean to be predators. Just just a soup of inappropriate, boundaryless um, interactions between adults and children of all ages, with, all with privacy and anonymity, um, whenever anybody wants. Which which like I I I was born in 1985, so I didn't the internet didn't enter my life till I was 10, but. The idea of like how my parents would have reacted if when I was nine, someone said, hey, I'm from the future. Your child now has a video camera. He takes everywhere with him and um, he can broadcast whatever he wants to strangers who can talk to him whenever they want. And you'll never know about it. And these people will be like celebrities to him. He'll do whatever they say. Um, they would have freaked out. So I think that 
part of it is that we're unwilling to kind of take the neglectful parents to task for mm-hmm. providing us with these dangerous tools mm-hmm. and unwilling to admit that we probably shouldn't have them in, in the in the current way we do. And instead, we're trying to use shame and <laughs> fear to self-parent or like self-enforce and make up for the neglect that I think we're kind of all experiencing. I agree. I mean, I, I, I feel the same about pornography. We've, um, we've engaged in criminal levels of, of neglect of, of children and youth by not teaching them about healthy sexuality and not teaching them what real sexuality is. And then we allow them to go online and look at pornography and from a place of ignorance. Sites. What's that? And then we blame the porn sites. And then we blame the porn sites, right? As opposed to taking responsibility for our failure to address these issues. I, you know, I, um, I was consulting on a case the other day of a, a nine-year-old girl who um, her mom was was looking at the laptop and and uh, or the iPad. I think it was an iPad. And um, the the mom, the girl had really wanted to have a TikTok. Uh, account and so the mom led her but tried to do it safely like blocked her being able to go into tiktok groups <laughs> and this, that and the other thing it's like trying to smoke and, crack safely yeah and then and then found out the girl had been approached on mess on tiktok messenger by a guy who you know encouraged the girl to take nude videos of her and send them to him and you know the mom the mom tried good for her trying and but it's sad that she didn't know how to do that safely or if it even was possible to i think safely. tiktok should probably tell you how to do it i mean yeah so so in 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 1990 there are probably lots of people who if they could privately message a nine-year-old while they're masturbating and ask them for naked pictures they would have but no one was facilitating that, so it it, does, it didn't matter because there's no didn't way happen. to do that. It just right. yeah, there's people. I and, and it's like this is one of my problems with these like predator hunting channels mm-hmm. or stings is that people who can be talked into, or if you put the tools to procure child porn at their fingertips, and say and, you know within five minutes from now you could be looking at child porn. If the, though there's a there's a lot of people who wouldn't do it if it wasn't always five minutes away. Or five seconds away. And I think that we seem to just shame those people rather than also looking at the people who are putting the tools in their hands to message your child and ask them for nudes. Yeah, I... um, Punishment and shame in these cases don't appear to be preventive. Um, You know, education, empowerment... Uh, in 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 the Netherlands, they start sex education around age five or seven, and it, they're showing age five to seven kids videos of adults that are nude. Um, not sex. They're not having sex. They're not erect. Right. But they're showing these kids what normal human bodies look like. Um, they, there is not so much shame around sexuality. Kids are able to talk about sexuality with their parents and and. Oftentimes, uh, first sexual experiences happen in the family home with, you know, with, with a, a same age partner with the, with the parents in the house. 
Here's the really interesting thing is that the Netherlands has far lower rates of sexual abuse of children, far lower rates of sexually transmitted infections, and far lower rates of teen pregnancy than the United States. So there is something actually powerful, affirmative, um, and healthy about talking about these things and encouraging people to talk about them. Sadly, you know, the, the, the United States kind of culture of silence and shame probably makes all these things worse. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lollycon. I don't know what that is. Well, I'll tell you. It's drawn images of the, the <laughs> people who feel very defense. So it's basically simulated uh, child pornography, but oh, illustrated okay. child pornography. Okay. But but okay. people yeah. will will say, "Oh, she's she's a three thousand year old witch who just happens to look like an eight year old or whatever." People get very defensive mm -hmm. and very heated about this. So let's just we'll just say generally. Um, simulated child mm -hmm. pornography. What do you think? Uh, it's, I believe it's currently illegal. Um, um, by the 2003 Supreme Court Ashcroft decision, it's not in the United oh, okay. States. Um, okay. the, it, well, uh, let us clarify. It's not illegal as child pornography. The Ashcroft decision in 2003. What's up? Is it yeah, it, it can be classified as obscene. And there was okay. a case in, in Texas um, of, a, of a guy earlier well, in January 2021 where he was uh, sentenced for obscenity with fiction material, including some drawings like you're talking about. Um, okay. So, however, obscenity is a regional decision. Offensive to your local community. Yeah. Um, yeah. the, now the, so the, the, the research around this stuff is, you know, is complex. There's not a, there's not a clear link between, you know, consuming that material or watching that material, um, and, uh, sexual arousal towards children distinct from child pornography. The, um, there's also some indications and suggestion that, that those materials, um, may, reduce risk of um uh acting on uh, uh -huh. pedophilic arousal or interest uh what do you think are you saying you are following the statistics and the statistics don't know yet uh it's it's nuanced but for those um for those people that have that don't have any social traits, those people that have impulse control, those people that have empathy for the victims, um, those materials may, uh, may be a way for them to have some, some erotic healthy, arousal, healthy outlet. some healthy, safe outlet as they masturbate. You know, the same, the same question is true around sex, child sex dolls. Um, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. And, you know, in Tennessee, there's a guy being prosecuted for child sex dolls right now because Tennessee and Florida passed laws outlawing them. Um, but again, there's at this point, there's no scientific evidence that, uh, you know, having a child sex doll makes um, children around you at more risk. Um, I believe people have a right to get off. 
and that we should try to I, we should try to facilitate that in a way I, that is healthy. So and, and, safe. and yeah, and so I, I have just a couple minutes left. We we have to we have to nuance that and say and I say yeah, I believe people have a right to healthy sexuality. So Absolutely. let's define healthy sexuality. Though. Well, and, what if somebody is an unsavable, unalterable pedophile? I'm not sure that exists. Okay, so you believe pedophilic disorder can be treated? I believe people with pedophilic disorder can be helped to live safe, healthy lives. Uh, sure. Um, okay, so, so we're talking I, about a... which, which is different though, because I, I, the all the indications are that pedophilia, pedophilic disorder is is heavily biologically driven. That pe pedophiles mm -hmm. are born. Not it can be managed. It can be managed. Most likely it can um, be managed. Yeah. yeah there's I only just, one researcher, Fedorov, who argues that he can cure pedophilia, but <laughs> not, not any of us think he's right. <laughs> okay. So I want to zero in on this, I guess, what I see as a problem. If there is a pedophile who is never going to offend, we have a time machine, they're never going to offend, they've never offended. There are a lot of people, and but they want a child sex doll. They want a CGI, photorealistic child pornography. They want the works. They want a buffet for themselves because they know that there's no way to manage this. So they're just going to, you know, they're going to live it up. There's a lot of people who still wouldn't want them to have that. Yep. Even if they knew it was not going to increase their risk of criminal behavior. That's right. Yeah, there's a lot of people that would not want them to have that because the idea is that they they shouldn't and and that's a moral issue. It's a moral it's a moral statement. It's not it's not a statement about trying to make the world a safer place or protect kids. Do you think there's any value to that moral statement? Do you think that is there a social merit to having some fantasies and feelings that that we just should shame? Um, like if, like if they were, yeah. if they, if they had fantasies about killing people, would you be okay with a, like a realistic doll that they can like murder and it's anatomically correct and blood squirts out and the doll screams and it's like, like, would that be a healthy outlet or is there, is there a point where it's like, even if it's in your own home, it's, it's not good for the rest of us for you to be indulging in these, these thoughts and feelings. You can have a pen, you can have a paper right. and you can have a bottle of lube and that's it. Well, I mean, you can you can write out that fantasy um, yeah. and publish it, and Hollywood makes movies out of it. You can well, play, yeah, sure. you can play it in video, video games. games, right? Yeah. So, um, I I don't get much as a psychologist. I just can't really get into the shoulds. Um, where I want to be clear, though, is when we're doing when we're making decisions based you don't on want to get morality. into the shoulds internally let's make sure we're yeah. i want to protect you by making yeah, you, sure that if you, you should you, not act on these on these on these yeah so you do want to get into the shoulds you don't want to get into the internal right. shoulds unless someone yeah. is self-harming somehow right okay what i want to be clear about though is when we're making policy or health or um, uh, decisions around morality or around science and evidence. Both are, e both are equally important, 
the mm-hmm. the problem I have is when we think we're making decisions about uh, uh, science and it's actually morality. The, and then we're you know, reverse engineering what we believe right. scientifically from yeah. m- moral stances. Yeah. That's right. If our goal is to protect kids, and which my goal is, and and to reduce acts of of sexual violence against children. I want to use the strategies that are most effective and are most likely to work. Shame and stigma and secrecy don't appear to work. Uh, you know, my, my friend James Cantor, a researcher in this area, says you know, very well, we spend millions on revenge and we spend pennies on prevention. Very well said. It's been recommended to me that I... Sp- I, th- I think I might have even emailed him maybe a year ago or something. He's a, he's a super busy guy. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, uh, okay, I think... Oh, I, I, I also want to protect children, but I have a secondary goal of, of protecting pedophiles. Not, not protecting pedophilia, but people with pedophilic disorder or, you know, uh, from the potentially self-hating self-policing mob i think that's fair um you know i, I imagine you've seen the groups um uh, virtuous pedophile and I'm, before I'm inter- you act i'm interviewing uh one of the leaders of mm-hmm. virtuous pedophile um you know and and i'm glad those groups exist uh it's it, you know it, it, it's sad that folks, you know, have to go to those groups as opposed to come to therapists because even a lot of therapists, um, you know, are afraid to treat people with, with, with pedophilia or, or people that, you know, have not acted on these fantasies. And uh, I worry, I worry sometimes um, that those folks in some of those groups may it 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 it's a conflict it's a dilemma between normalizing um having these fantasies um mm-hmm. so that you can get help and not act on them but minimizing the fact that if you act on these fantasies you're violating the consent of a child and harming them that's yeah. the that's the knife edge. How do you how do you reduce shame and protect people with pedophilic disorder, right? And not minimize the fact that their fantasies, you know, involve violation of the rights of of children. I think the use of the word "map" is a problem. I don't I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, I'm it, not a fan of it. It turns it into a sexual orientation, and while it may function like one, mm-hmm. it's um. I think it has to be like, if you want to be in my good graces, you need to refer to it every time you talk about it as a disorder. Yeah. I, I, I think you and I agree on a lot of these things, you know, the, the, the use of the term map, it also just makes it sound, make, makes us sound crazy. It makes us sound like we're saying, Hey, any kind of sex is good sex. Just, yes. just, just get out there and be free. But no, um, you know, the, the uh, sex, sex with children is a crime and harms the children. And the other problem is that people who believe that children can consent or, or that it, the lo- age of consent should be lowered or abolished will use a lot of the same 
arguments and stances to start to kind of open the door, which um, makes it so that whenever you talk about this with somebody, they're looking at you side eyed like, okay, where, but where are you going with this? That's right. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, it makes it makes it sound like you're part of Nambla. Um, right. Man, I wonder if I should try to interview them. <laughs> yeah, boy, you're just a glutton for punishment. Yeah. Got to we got to got to we got to seek the truth here. Some people don't. Well, what's the the Jack Nicholson line? You can't handle the truth. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people can't. I'm going to make them handle it. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thank you. And thank you for the interview. Is there anything else you want to add or or discuss or say? Um I, I mean I I will just say that, you know, these these hard scary conversations help us to identify the boundaries and it's only if we know where the boundaries are that we can really um, keep people safe make good decisions help people that are struggling are you jaded good luck with that <laughs> you've have you become jaded oh uh, yeah yeah probably i mean after the um yeah. <laughs> yeah, these are Yeah, I, I I I I think things are getting better, but then they take some big steps back. Yeah. Fucking TikTok. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Uh thank hey, you for your time. You, I know Max. I know you're busy. Thank you for uh fitting this in. I appreciate it. Hey. Nice uh, talking to you, man. Good luck. Thanks. Nice talking to you too.